Well, good morning. We're going to read from Ruth chapter 4 this morning. We're talking about the whole chapter, but we're going to read the first 12 verses. If you've been with us this month, we've been working our way chapter by chapter through uh, the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And um, whether you realize it or not, Ruth unfolds like a four-act play. Each chapter takes us through a different move and a different sense of timing. And today we come to the conclusion of all that and we put all the pieces together. But this is Ruth chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the family guardian he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town (coughs) and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the family guardian, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the family guardian said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the family guardian said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or his hometown. Today, You are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Let's pray for a moment. God, thank you for allowing, you, for allowing us to worship you this morning, and thank you for giving us so many reasons to give thanks to you. You've blessed us by allowing us to live in this land in a, in a time of plenty, in a time when there are so many jobs to be had. Even though there are challenges around us, we can still find many reasons to thank you. Thank you for the faces around this room and for those who are watching online as well for the new friendships and relationships that you are allowing us to to gather and to build. Thank you for the grace that comes to sweep into our lives and changes the way that we look at ourselves, the way that we look at life, the way that we look at the future, the way that we look at each other. I pray that you would make us a people who are framed by this grace and who are radically changed by this grace. Thank you for our church. Together we are stronger. Together, we are capable of doing far more in your name. Together, we are able to comfort and console and help and to encourage and to build up. 
and to train others. Lord, you've given us a huge mission, and part of that mission is to reach our neighbors with, with the love and the gospel of Christ. Part of that mission is to carry that throughout the South Shore and wherever you lead us. And so I pray that each week that we gather here that you will continue to strengthen us, make us wiser, give us greater understanding of your word, give us a greater sense of empowerment for mission as well. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Boston Globe columnist Jeff Jacoby recently wrote in a newsletter about taking time off to bury his parents in Israel. His father had been a Holocaust survivor, and the family was rounded up from their home in Hungary on the day after Passover, penned up for weeks in an urban ghetto, and then herded into boxcars for a three-day train ride that ended at Auschwitz. There were no seats, only a wooden bucket to use as a bathroom for a freight car filled with men, women, and children who were stacked like sardines. Then on his first day at Auschwitz, his parents, siblings, uncles, and aunts were all pushed into a different line than the one he was pushed into, and they were gassed, and he never saw them again. Jacoby loved his father and mother, and he wanted to preserve the names of those relatives who died in the concentration camp, never to be buried. So on the backside of the large granite tombstone that he erected for his parents, Jacoby had the names of all those relatives who had died at Auschwitz engraved in Hebrew letters, and he took his parents' ashes back and buried them in Israel. It was important to him that their names would not be forgotten. Hold on to that thought because that ties into where we're going this morning as we look at this fourth installment at our study of the the book of Ruth, this series that we're calling Hope When Your World Falls Apart. It is fascinating how current day stories and events parallel what we are learning from the scriptures. So this morning we're wrapping up this Hope When Your World Falls Apart series and we will see a parallel between the Jacoby family story and the concern in Ruth that the names of Naomi's husband and son would not be forgotten. Ruth's Redeemer sees to it that they will be remembered. This morning we're wrapping up this series on Ruth. For the past three weeks, we have tracked the story of Ruth and Naomi, these two women who suffer through an incredible season of personal loss that signaled that their lives and their world had fallen apart. Yet we have also seen that their story is about moving from hopelessness to hope, from bitterness to better days, from ruin to redemption, and from empty to full. Welcome to North River. I'm so glad you're here today. I met a couple of friends who have come back for the second time today, and I'm glad that you are doing that. And it seems like each Sunday we are meeting people we haven't seen for a year and a half or so, and some who have been watching us online and are deciding that this is the time to, to enter in and to join us here publicly. Let me welcome those of you who are online today. We're glad that you're here and that you are finding this online option meets your needs and, and your time frame. We're finding out that our online streaming has become our new front door. There are many people who are watching for a period of weeks and even months, and then they decide to experience North River for themselves as they join us in this worship center. There are some who are choosing to quietly check us out this way, and we're glad that this is happening. So welcome. If you are viewing online today, you will get the most out of this if you put down all the tools that draw you into multitasking. 
So think about it. Try to sing when we sing, laugh when we laugh, laugh at me if you have to, pray when we pray, and together we will find this to be a common and uniting experience. Today's question is, what are the lasting lessons for today's Christians from this Old Testament story of Ruth? Here's the central idea that I'm trying to communicate this morning. uh, Ruth is a redemption story, and redemption stories connect with our hearts because the greatest story of all time is about our Redeemer. Does that make sense? Wherever we find redemption stories, in whatever field that they are in, whether they are in novels or movies, they all remind us of the greatest redemption story ever told, and it's the redemption by Jesus. Now, just a quick reminder, some of the things we've learned so far. We saw that the entire book of Ruth takes place during a season of crisis. We saw that the account of Ruth and Naomi takes place during the period of the judges, a season that was marked by religious distress, military distress, and economic distress. Then we learned that God cares about hopeless people. When we meet Ruth and Naomi, they are bitter, they are hopeless, they have no vision for the future, and yet God does great things in their life. And we saw that God is always working behind the scenes for our personal deliverance, even in those moments when we cannot see God's hand at work. This morning we're going to talk about the Redeemer's choice. There are two Redeemers who are involved in this story, a potential Redeemer and a successful Redeemer. And the choice that they make, that each one makes, is pivotal in the telling of the story. So first we look at the setting. Verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the family guardian he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Let's unpack this opening verse. Ruth reads like a four-act play, and this is Act 4. Act 1 took place at the end of a 10-year period dominated by prolonged famine The Elimelech family, his name means God is my king or my God is king, left Bethlehem in a famine season. They left Bethlehem, which literally means the house of bread, and lived as outsiders in a hostile land of Moab. By the end of chapter 1, Elimelech and his two sons have died, leaving three grieving widows. Two of them decide to come back. And so hope appears as Ruth chooses Naomi, her God, her land, and her people. Act 2 takes place during the weeks of the harvest season as Ruth and Naomi return to Bethlehem just as the harvest season is beginning. Naomi cries that God has brought her back empty with no hope and no family. Yet Ruth goes to work in the fields gleaning leftover grain and hoping to find favor even though she's an outsider among the people. Act 3 occurs on one long day and night during the end of the harvest season. Naomi plays matchmaker, sending Ruth to the threshing floor where Boaz works and sleeps that night. Ruth puts on her best dress and perfume and essentially proposes to Boaz, asking him to act as the family's redeemer and then to take her as his wife. This scene is romantic and suggestive and risky all at once. Ruth's bold move takes place in the middle of the night before dawn arrives. And then we come to Act 4 today. Act 4 is the final scene that takes place the next morning at the city gates. If you can see, the pace of the story quickens with each chapter. We go from a 10-year period to a harvest season to one long day and night to the next morning where everything concludes. The city gate area was where official business was transacted. Boaz heads first thing in the morning to the city gate 
and he sits there. And as they come by, he calls out to some of the elders, and he invites the elders to sit with him, and he recognizes along the way the family guardian that he had talked about with Ruth in chapter 3. And he invites him to sit as well. When all those who have some concern about this matter are there, Boaz has a handle on all the facts, and he begins to enact a piece of business that has to do with redeeming the land and redeeming Ruth. So when that relative is ready, he invites him to sit down in this formal setting. The second thing that we notice is that this is about redeeming the land, first of all. In verse 3, he says to the family guardian, Naomi, who has come back from Boab, is, Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, then do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. The man answers very quickly, I will redeem it. This other redeemer remains unnamed through this scene. It is probably part of the writer's way of protecting him because what happens here is actually something that is dishonorable in the way that he responds. But he would be on guard immediately because of the presence of other people and the presence of the elders there at the city gates. The elders' presence at the city gates has turned this outdoor setting into a makeshift town hall. And the other family members would recognize that Boaz had urgent business to conduct. He is on a mission. Boaz, first of all, defers to protocol. He notes that the other redeemer is closest in line. He's a closer relative to Elimelech. So he informs him about the plight of Naomi and her family. Officially, Naomi is selling, meaning that she was looking for a redeemer to buy her land out of debt, out of mortgage, and acting on this would be to the Redeemer's advantage because with more land, he would have more crops and he would be able to, to make more money. So this unnamed Redeemer quickly says he will do it. And then the tension of the story builds a little bit with this news because we know that Boaz is interested in Ruth even more than the land, but this man is ready to act. And we find that Boaz isn't finished. So we move from the setting to redeeming the land, to the most important piece of business for Boaz, redeeming Ruth. In verse 5, Boaz says, On the day that you buy the land from Naomi, notice how he kind of springs this. He, he holds back this important detail until just the right moment. On the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the family guardian said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it for yourself. I cannot do it. This unnamed redeemer indicates that he will redeem the land. Technically, the redeemer would not own the land permanently. There are all kinds of Old Testament rules that were part of the nation of Israel in, the, in this ancient format that are coming into play here. Leviticus chapter 25 provides details about the year of Jubilee. Every 50th year, there would be a forgiveness of all debts throughout the land. And every piece of land that was bought or mortgaged would be returned to the original family. This was God's plan. The land once given would remain in the possession of that family. And so this was a way of, of providing. It was a way of recognizing that this was the ultimate thanksgiving to God and all debts would be forgiven. So the, the original, the uh, first redeemer is calculating in his mind, 
How many years do I have that I can farm this land until the year of Jubilee comes when I'm going to lose the right to control it? Or how many years until there's a son who's raised up and can stand up in his own name and in his father's name and then he will possess this land? He decides it's a worthwhile venture and he's all in. This was a business transaction after all. The man had already calculated that this was a good deal for him. And when he says, yes, I will redeem it, the tension builds because Boaz has another move in mind. It is then that Boaz springs forward and he informs this would-be redeemer about Ruth. And he says, in doing so, you are acting as the family guardian, as the redeemer, not only of the land, but for the whole family. And there's another matter that is involved. And he tied the right of redemption to what's known as the Leveret Law. I introduced this briefly last Sunday. The Leveret Law is described in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6. It is very likely that Moses borrowed this from Middle Eastern customs because similar laws existed in other countries at this time. Essentially, it meant that when a man died without a male heir, that his brother or the closest relative in the family was responsible to take care of that widow, to bring her into his home, to marry her, and to raise up a son in the name of the deceased man so that his name would be carried forward and not forgotten and that his land would remain in the family. The reasons for this leveret law were twofold. The first was to provide for the widow so that she did not lose her family's property. The second was to carry on the dead man's name. Remember when I talked about Jeff Jacoby a moment ago in my introduction and how he saw it so important that he he did the research to find out all the names and the dates of the, the lives of the people from his family who had died in Auschwitz. And while on the front of the the gravestone markers, he had his parents' names listed side by side. On the back side, he listed all those relatives who had died there. He wanted their names to be preserved forever. It's very much carrying forward the spirit of this story in Ruth. So if the closer relative redeems Naomi's land, he is accepting the role of the redeemer for the entire family, which means that he must also act as the nearest brother, so to speak, and redeem and marry Ruth as well. Now, several options could play out here. If this was all agreeable, the closer family, would, family member would acquire Ruth as his wife. You've already seen that Ruth is a person of character. She's a hard worker too, but she's a Moabite. She's a foreigner, and that would have meant something. There would have been some of the, the people of Israel who have, would have carried a, a bias a prohibition even towards bringing Ruth into the land or into their family. Perhaps he has just become married. He has a new wife and his new wife doesn't want a second bride in the house. Even though this particular form of polygamy was allowed and even accepted and endorsed in Israel. Perhaps he had a bias against non-Jews. Whatever his reasons, he declines and he tells Boaz to redeem the land And to redeem Ruth. And so Boaz makes it official right then and there. He will redeem both Ruth and the land. And he announces that Ruth is going to become his bride. And then there's something very interesting that takes place. It's the sandal exchange. Deuteronomy chapter 25 also states that if the nearest kinsman refuses to do his duty and redeem the widow, she is literally to take a sandal off of his foot and then spit in his face. The custom had changed a little bit from the time it was written in Deuteronomy to what we see happening here in Judges so that we have this 
description in parentheses that says this was a business transaction and the way the transaction happened was that a person would take the sandal off and give it to the other party in order to indicate that, uh, that, that the transfer had happened, that this man now had the, the right to redeem. But it's kind of cleaned up over time. Now, why did that happen? Boaz was doing something here in protecting Ruth from any possible disappointment or shame. So he represents Ruth in that meeting. What it says back in Deuteronomy 25 was if the Redeemer refused to do his duty, it was this widow who would show up and gather the elders, and she's the one who would enact this complaint. The, the reason was that the elders would then try to persuade this person to do his duty. Boaz didn't want any of that. Boaz knew what he wanted, and he wanted Ruth. And so he represents her and he takes away any possible shame or embarrassment for her in that moment. And he's the one who also protects the dignity of the other redeemer. He doesn't want the other redeemer to stand up and, and to take that role. He doesn't mention his name in here. And the writer doesn't mention the name to protect his honor and his dignity because the story from this point is no longer about him. It's about Ruth and Boaz, and the future. And it's a beautiful and powerful story. Redemption stories connect with our hearts because the greatest story of all time is about our Redeemer. Now, we've been walking through Ruth here for four weeks now, and what I wanted to do with part of this message is to talk about some of the lasting values that rise up from this particular story of Ruth. And so I've been kind of short in dealing with chapter 4 in order to save some time to look at the messages from the whole book. There are six of them that I think stand out for me. Here's the first one. God cares about those who grieve. We discover this as a main theme in the midst of this story. For we meet Ruth and Naomi when their world has fallen apart. They're alone. They're hurting. <clears throat> they are grieving. They need grief share and grief share hasn't started yet. For Naomi, the loss was threefold. Her husband and both of her sons were gone. This is profound. And in a male-dominated agricultural society, the question was, how would she survive? And this story begins to answer that for us. This all came on top of great economic ruin that caused Elimelech and Naomi to leave Israel in the first place during that time of famine. When the Bible includes a book with this kind of storyline, it is a declaration that God cares about and values those who grieve. Second, God rewards those who care for widows and elders. This is another main theme, a main thrust of this story. Boaz replies in chapter 3 when he's talking to, to Ruth and he first meets her and he says, I have been told all about what you have done from your mother-in-law. A little while later, he says, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Boaz is the one who declares this value. Just as Boaz has noticed, the implication of the story, though, is that the Lord has noticed what Ruth has done, has noticed her character, her hard work, her willingness to put it all on the line for the sake of Naomi. The implication is that God cares for those who care for widows and for our elders. There are a number of people in this congregation who are caring for elder members of the family or you've done that recently and you've walked that lonely journey and there are some who for out of their profession are caring for elders every day of the week and I have to tell you something when you do this part of what Ruth is telling us is you are doing the Lord's work every day isn't that awesome 
There's a high value. In the midst of our culture, which seems to value youth and to discount the role of elders, here we have a story that says actually God's values work in exactly the opposite way, that God values that time spent and that care given. Third, we don't have to work to get God's attention. Did you notice how Ruth had to work to get Boaz's attention? She follows Naomi's instructions and Naomi's boldest move comes when she sends Ruth down to the threshing floor. We talked about this last week. She washes and perfumes and puts on her best dress and she uncovers his feet in the middle of the night so he'll figure out something's off, something's wrong. And there in that setting, they finally have that discussion which basically is her way of proposing to Boaz. It's a brilliant strategy designed to send a clear signal to Boaz. Some guys need that clear signal before they figure out there's a great opportunity right in front of you. We were talking about this during the week at home after our our small group went through this chapter this week and Sue, my wife, said, you know how Ruth had to get perfumed and put on her best dress? And then she added, it is so good that I don't need to look my best to be loved by God. He understands what it's like on the days when I don't shower or my hair's in a ponytail and she gave me permission to tell that story. And she, said, she even loves me on those no shower and ponytail days. Fourth, Jesus is our willing redeemer. That was actually the original title of this message, our willing redeemer. But I realized that this, this entire chapter is really about the choice that comes and we see this contrast between Boaz and the unnamed Redeemer. But Jesus is our willing Redeemer every time. Do you remember how last week we noted that there were three requirements for the kinsman Redeemer? The Redeemer needed to be a close family member, needed to have the means to pay off the debt, whatever it was, and the Redeemer needed to be willing to take on this responsibility. Here we find in the fourth chapter that there's a fourth requirement, at least in this one story. The Redeemer needed to want the bride. And the first guy didn't. For whatever reason, for unnamed reasons, maybe for many reasons. Leads to the the fifth lasting value. Jesus chose the bride. The great comparison between the story of Ruth is the story in the New Testament that tells us that the church is the bride of Christ and he's the groom. And so we learn in chapter 4 that this closer kinsman did not want Ruth the bride. But Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. And so it's so significant that there are New Testament passages that speak of the church, us collectively, and all others who belong to Christ as the bride that he has chosen and that he wants. And he gives up his life for that bride. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of how Christ chooses his people. And I think the sixth and last, uh, the final lasting value is that God is often at work behind the scenes. Think of this entire story. We started off with a story of survival. Naomi and Ruth are headed back to Bethlehem and we, we don't know how they're going to be received. We don't know how they will be provided for. We don't know how the story will end out if we're just reading the story for the first time. Naomi could not see that God was already preparing a man of standing. That's the way that Boaz is introduced. A person of character. 
God is continually developing you and me to be people of character, men and women who are capable of stepping into stories that we don't even fully understand when we act with mercy and we act with grace and when we represent the Lord in the midst of this world today. And he keeps putting us in different places. And sometimes we pray that way. Lord, put a person of standing in this person's life. Lord, put somebody who can speak a word of truth and grace into this loved one's life. And God operates that way in a number of places. And so the story ends with Ruth and Boaz being placed into the lineage of the line of King David. And not, even, not only King David, but through David to Jesus. Ruth 4.17 says, The women living there said, Naomi has a son. Well, it's a grandson, but part of her family. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Next week, as we go on in a new series, we're actually going to start with that thought. And we're going to take the, the opening genealogy in Matthew's gospel and shows that Ruth and, and Boaz's names are listed there that lead to David, but they lead far beyond David all the way into the line that brings in Jesus. See, ultimately, this redemption story leads into the greatest redemption story, which is the story of Jesus. And I just wonder, as everybody here, as everybody who's listening online, have you received Jesus as your Redeemer? This is one of those stories that points forward because what God has been doing behind the scenes, even through stories like Ruth and Boaz and, and their son and King David, was paving the way for the coming of Jesus. Because God's story ultimately is the greatest story of all time. It's the redemption story that we are invited into. And you and I become a part of that story when we embrace the Redeemer who's been sent for us. I'm not going to plead, I'm not going to beg, but we often present the opportunity for people to take that step. When the pieces of the story come together in your mind and your heart is open, often that is the moment when God is moving you to become a part of His family. How do you do that? You say a simple prayer, something like this. Lord Jesus, I understand that you are my Redeemer. You are God's Son. I recognize that I cannot buy my own way out of my sin patterns or even the pain and the damage that comes from it. Forgive my sin. Come into my life. Begin to give me this new life that is dominated by grace. Make me your child. And you will take those baby steps forward in faith and God will cause his presence in your life to grow and you'll be a new person. I hope that all of us will take that step whether you've done that in the past or you need to renew that step or, today, or do that for the first time today. But redemption stories connect with our hearts because the greatest story of all time is about the story of our Redeemer. I put a prayer of thanks. We're still in that spirit of thanksgiving today. I put that in your notes, and hopefully that will flash up behind me. But I wonder if you would pray this prayer of thanksgiving with me as we close out this message today. Let's do this together. Creator God, we come to you today in a spirit of thanksgiving. Thank you for blessing us with life, liberty, and opportunity. Thank you for loving us despite our tendency toward transgressions. We love you for sending Jesus as our Redeemer who chooses us and extends your grace and mercy. We put our faith and hopes in you. In Jesus' name, amen.